Welcome to Desert City Church's podcast. Thanks for listening in. What you are about to hear is a sermon given live at one of our Sunday gatherings. We are a new church serving neighborhoods on the edge of North Phoenix and Scottsdale, Arizona. Our sermons are ongoing conversations around a sacred text or scripture in which we find the story of Jesus. We hope they inspire you to love God and others more. If we can serve you in any way or answer any questions about our community, please don't hesitate to ask. You can find out more information at DesertCityChurch.com. If you have your Bibles, you can open up to Luke chapter 22. All right, late in the 15th century, the artist Leonardo da Vinci painted a masterpiece. And he painted it as a mural in the refectory of a convent called the Santa Maria della Grazia. I'm not Italian. That was my attempt at an accent. <laughs> but this convent was in Milan, Italy, and it became one of the most famous paintings in the world. And a lot has been said of this painting, what it is. A lot has been said about it, speculated. But what's really interesting to me is how this painting has survived for like 500 years. When you look at what this painting has gone through so that we can see it today. Uh, Very early on, uh, it it was said that the the type of paint that Leonardo uh, da Vinci used um, was the wrong kind of paint for the climate, and it was humid. And within 60 years, uh, people had said that this this painting was basically ruined. It was unrecognizable. So that within 60 years of him painting it, they were already trying to restore it. 150 years after it was painted, uh, it it wasn't necessarily considered a masterpiece. Maybe, I don't know. They they decided to to build a door in the wall that it was painted on. So like right in the middle of the painting, they just build a door through Leonardo da Vinci's painting. Uh, Then they patched that up and and painted over it. Uh, There was a protective curtain that was placed on top of it as they started to realize that maybe this is a masterpiece. And the curtain was meant to protect the painting, uh, but it did the opposite. It trapped in the moisture, which caused the paint to peel. And uh, eventually, Michelangelo had to come in and and redo it. Then during the French Revolution, uh, there were some uh, French revolutionary troops that had uh, taken control, command of the convent. They were using it as an armory. And they didn't care about the art, so they destroyed it. They would uh, vandalize it. do all sorts of things to it. Then it became a prison, and who knows what the prisoners in the prison had done to this painting. At some point in the mid-1800s, they brought in an expert uh, who who understood art and understood how to preserve art, and they said, this is, you know, we we think this is a really big deal. We, We need to do something to preserve it. So the expert decided to move it to a safer place. As he was trying to move it, he damaged it even further. And then it says that, tradition tells us that the expert tried to fix it with glue. I mean, I guess duct tape wasn't around yet, so we're going to glue it back together. And then in World War II, the entire convent gets destroyed by Allied bombing. And as the bombing was coming, people put protective structures around this mural to try to preserve it. And as the bombs hit, every wall in the convent was destroyed except for this one. Then by 1970, a new project uh, was underway to restore. It took 21 years to restore this painting. This is the painting. This is what it looked like in 1970. Ah, yes. 
Most of you know this as Da Vinci's The Last Supper. There's all sorts of, uh, you know, it, it's this masterpiece that has survived for 500 years. Um, it's also a, almost like a cultural icon. Um, Tyler Ells was telling me he saw a meme, you know, as we get it ready for Holy Week, there was this meme on the internet that said, you know, Jesus walked into a restaurant and he's like, I'd like have a party, I have a party of 24. Can I get a table for 24? And the hostess said, we only have 12 people. And Jesus is like, yeah, we're all going to sit on the same side of the table. Yeah. I mean, what, what Leonardo is capturing here, this, this Last Supper. But, but what's interesting is this, this is a picture that has captivated humanity for 500 years. And it depicts something that happens on a night uh, that is sacred. The night that this depicts is a sacred moment that sets in motion these events that all of history pivots on. It sets in motion events that all of eternity pivots on. There's something special. And when you think about like what has happened to preserve this painting, what has happened to, to restore it, I, I feel like it depicts something much deeper. It's not just the painting. There's something about the masterpiece of what happened that night 2,000 years ago. And we consider this message that comes from this night what's happened over the last 2,000 years. This message is a masterpiece. This message is this sacred thing of Jesus and his disciples. And we think about how that message has been damaged, restored. That message has been uh, abused. That message has been uh, vandalized. Uh, experts have ruined it. Extremists uh, have had no respect for it. And yet somehow the message is still a masterpiece. It's restored. As we get ready for Holy Week, on this Palm Sunday, I want to look at the story that inspired this painting, this masterpiece. And that story is found in Luke chapter 22. If you want to turn with me, we'll start in verse 7. Luke 22, 7 says, Then came the day of unleavened bread, on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Jesus sent Peter and John, saying, Go and make preparations for us to eat the Passover. Then down in verse 14, it says, When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table. And he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. And after taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread and he gave thanks and he broke it and he gave it to them saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Poured out for you. Interesting words and imagery used in this story of the Last Supper. The story is significant. When we consider the significance of it, I want to just kind of look at it from a couple different angles. The first is the historical significance of the story. 
The story opens up on the day of unleavened bread, the feast, the Passover. What we find is that Jesus is participating in this annual event. It's an annual holiday for him and the Jewish people. And it represents something deep in their history that is significant. It represents a time in their history when they're slaves in Egypt. They have this empire that has oppressed them, enslaved them. And they're crying out to God for freedom. They're crying out to God for life. They're crying out for God to intervene. They cry out for 400 years. And finally God moves. God works. God shows up. He says, I've heard your cry. I have seen the oppression. And I'm going to do something about it. And we find in Exodus chapter 12, in Exodus chapter 12, where God delivers the people, his people. And we have this story of the Passover. And as God's people were considering those who had enslaved them, God does something that's very symbolic. He tells these people that he's going to send a destroyer. It's going to take out these oppressors. They've oppressed you for too long. He says, but you will be free from the destroyer. But here's what you have to do to show that you are my people. To take a, a lamb and to sacrifice it. To shed its blood. And then to wipe that blood on the doorpost of your house. Because when the destroyer comes, we'll see the, the blood shed on your doorpost and it will pass over. You'll be freed from the destroyer. We see that this happens. That night they're having a meal, making a meal with unleavened bread, and the destroyer passes over. We know how that story goes. Charlton Heston shows up, you know, takes the people, leads them out of Egypt. Finally, the Egyptians have had enough. And it's a story in God's people where they're set free from their oppressors, from the things that enslave them. And every year, at that time of year, they would have this feast and they would remember how God freed them from the Egyptians. They would have this dinner, this symbolic dinner that represented these different elements of how God shows up and says, you're free. I'm going to free you from those things that oppress you. And as Jesus is having this meal, the day of the unleavened bread, the Passover, it's part of this remembrance that we were once enslaved and God freed us. God set us free. As he sits with his disciples, it's this symbolic act. The lamb, the meal of unleavened bread, became this abiding symbol of Israel's deliverance from bondage. As we approach this story of this Last Supper, Jesus is partaking in this meal. So there's this historical significance for them, but then there's also this redemptive significance. There's this redemptive significance. Jesus starts to use the language of the meal. And he starts talking about it, not just as this one point in history with this one group of people, but he starts to broaden the category. And he starts to talk about this idea that what had happened long ago is happening again here and now. And like we, we read the story, you know, looking at it 2,000 years later, like hindsight's 2020. I can't imagine what the disciples were trying to decipher in Jesus' words. Where he starts talking about 
how he can't take this cup and this bread. He won't take it again until all has been fulfilled. And he's talking about his own death. And he starts to use this language of what's happening with this lamb, with this blood that was shed. And he starts personalizing it. In the Gospel of John, John the Baptist sees Jesus coming. And he says these words. He says, when John the Baptist saw Jesus approaching, he cried out, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This prophet who sees Jesus starts to identify him as that lamb that has come to take away the sin of the world. There's this cosmic thing that is in play here in the life of Jesus. There's this blood that's about to be shed that the destroyer will pass over because of. And Jesus starts to talk about this idea of this huge redemption plan. This huge redemption plan. This was a transformation of what had been a Jewish feast of remembrance into a new symbol of remembering Jesus' atoning sacrifice on the cross. What Jesus is saying, what happened with uh, my people in, in Egypt long ago is now happening on a much broader scale. All of the things in this world that are oppressive, all the things that enslave us, all the things that seek our destruction, seek to control us, Jesus is setting us free from. The lamb that has come to take away the sin of the world. There's this redemptive significance in this meal. And then finally, there's this personal significance. Because Jesus starts to use this language, making it personal. He says this, go to the next slide. He says, this is given to you. This is poured out for you. This big rescue plan, this land that has come to take away the sin of the world, Jesus gives it to us. It's a gift. It's personal. And this rescue plan that has been put in place, the life of Jesus that is freeing the world of all the things that enslave it, starts with us, inside of us, personal, you. It's a good gift for us. Jesus uses the language of intimacy. When we start to grasp that, we start to realize we're a part of a much bigger plan. It's not just one thing that happened years and years ago for the Israelites, and it's not just something that's happening cosmically but it's something that starts to put my own soul back together. And this lamb that was slain, this blood that was poured out, we place it on the doorpost of our hearts and the destroyer passes over us. There's something very symbolic about this act in the Last Supper. And this is the story that we're a part of. This is the story that we all belong to. That God is freeing us from the things that enslave us in this world. He's putting back together all the things that are broken. And this is done by this act of the cross. Jesus, the lamb, slain, his blood poured out, his body broken. The early church understood this, and they started to partake in this meal as well. What used to be a meal that was symbolic of this action in the Old Testament becomes their story. Some of the early authors of the New Testament picked up on this language. One was the Apostle Paul, 1 Corinthians 11. He starts to talk about this 
this sacred act where we remember what God has done. And he says that when we do it, when we partake in this, this meal, this supper, a couple things happen. He says there's an inward movement and there's an outward movement. There's an inward movement where we examine ourselves, where we reflect on what God has done for us here and now. The redemption that is offered to us personally. And then there's this outward movement. There's this proclamation. We proclaim, this is the hope of the world. This is how God is putting all things back together. There's an inward and there's an outward movement. And Paul says to come to the table and to receive, to remember, and to proclaim. As we move to communion, we do this each week. It's because of this sacred act of remembrance. It's something that we do weekly, not out of just the ritual, but because our lives are centered on this act. There's an inward and outward movement. The cross, God becoming human, breaking himself open, pouring himself out. We remember that, we receive that, and then we proclaim it. Each week, we take that communion that Eucharist, the good gift. Going back to this picture, like I said, there's a lot that has been said about it. I'm sure everyone's heard of different conspiracies. Uh, I was reading uh, through people who've actually seen it in real life. I've never experienced that, right? I've never traveled to Italy. I'm not even sure where it's held now, actually. But you start to read the accounts of people that have seen this mural, this masterpiece by Leonardo da Vinci. I was kind of reading these different accounts, and I came across one specifically that caught my interest. And it was written by this British author, and uh, her name's Mary Shelley. You probably know her because of a book she wrote called Frankenstein. Wrote about Frankenstein and The Last Supper. But she travels all over Europe, and she writes kind of like this dialogue, this journal of traveling through Germany, through Italy. And she knew that this masterpiece was in Italy, so she went to see it. She was excited to see it. She talks about what happened when she finally comes across it, this experience that she has when she finally sees Leonardo's masterpiece. And I love these words. It says, first we visited the, fate, the fading, inimitable fresco of Leonardo da Vinci. How vain are the copies. Not in one, nor in any print did I ever see the slightest approach to the expression of our Savior's face, such as it is in the original. Majesty and love, these are the words that would describe it, joined to an absence of all the guile that expresses the divine nature more visibly than I ever saw it in any other picture. This is kind of like when we said, there ain't nothing like the real thing, baby, right? <laughs> she sees it and she says, this is so much better than anything I expected. How vain are the copies? to actually gaze upon the face of our Savior as Leonardo portrays it. The majesty and the love. She experiences that. We use this painting as a metaphor as we have today in this message. I think it's true, too, with our lives. We carry around this masterpiece, this message, this story of Jesus and his redemption in the world. And you have to wonder, are we the vain copies are we simply vain copies of the story? Or is there something authentic and real? Something that we are in touch with our Savior? When people look at us, do they experience the love 
and the majesty of Jesus. I think part of the reason that we come inwardly to take communion together is that we reflect on our life. We examine ourselves. We want to be more like Jesus. We allow for Jesus to work in our life. And then we proclaim it. We don't want to just be vain copies. We want to reflect the love and the majesty of our Savior. So today, as we get ready for this, to partake in the communion, the start of Holy Week, I invite you to the table to come inwardly and outwardly to remember what God has done and to proclaim it. There's something that the church has done for thousands of years. Uh, they've reflected on this story. One of the things that they do as a church is they proclaim it corporately. At the church plant, we don't do this very often. But today as we move to the table, I thought that we could read this creed together. It's not a creed, it's more of a statement that explains our story. And then we'll move to communion if you uh, are comfortable taking communion. We practice open communion here. We say if you're a follower of Jesus, you're invited to the table. If it's confusing to you, I'd love to talk with you about it. We celebrate this sacred moment that represents God freeing us of all the things that enslave us. But Tim's going to come back up and lead us in a time of worship and reflection. But before we move to the table, if we could all rise to our feet and repeat these words. We join the historic church saying these words. Christ has died. Christ has risen. And Christ will come again. Lord, dying, you destroyed our death. And rising, you restored our life. Lord Jesus, come in glory. Amen. You're invited to the table today. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for this masterpiece, this story of your love for us. Lord, that you would sacrifice your life. You would be the sacrificial lamb that sheds your blood that breaks your body open. And today, Lord, we, we want to receive that, the grace, the gift, the love that you offer. And all of our brokenness, of all of our pain, all of our suffering, of all the ways that we get things wrong, all the things that have been done to us, Lord, that are painful, we trust that this sacred act 2,000 years ago absorbs all of the consequences. As your people, Lord, we, we come to you and we trust this story. Lord, we just pray that you would stir in our hearts today. That we may not just be vain copies of who you are, Lord. We'd be authentic reflections of your grace, your love, your majesty to the world. Lord, we're so thankful that you would love us so much that you wouldn't give up on us, that you would act on our behalf, that much like the Israelites who cried out long ago, Lord, you would hear our desperation and deliver us. Lord, we remember, we receive, and we proclaim, amen.